Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hello, and welcome to the Publicly Challenged Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Oswald, and I hope you join me on my quest for knowledge to become a better public land hunter, angler, and forager. Stick with this and who knows, maybe we will learn something together. Okay, so I'm sitting here and I'm talking to David Ross and uh, kind of been following you on social media for a while and a lot of the things you do intrigue me and want to get to know you a little bit more. So David, you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Yeah, my name is David. I'm uh, out of the Southern Arizona area. I've been hunting for about uh, four to five years now i'll be going into my my fifth gear season at the end of this year and my my second elk season so i'm pretty excited for that too um yeah i was um i'm a nurse by trade i uh, did a little time in the army for a while hanging out in the air force reserves now and got a little family at home wife and a, a toddler and that's that's pretty much me so i want first off i want to say thank you for your service david and um what, what you guys do and sacrifice for all of us, it, it truly means a lot. Um, so just kind of curious, you, I know you hunt now and you said you've been doing it for four years, but I mean, kind of like early childhood life, there was no hunting, no anything like that. And have you always lived in Arizona? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a native of Tucson, born and raised, um, always lived there, never did any hunting as a kid. I've always had people around, you know, kind of connections and things that hunted and stuff, but it was never something that I did as a kid. My dad used to take us uh, fishing, you know, a fair bit. We'd go camping up in the mountains and take little stock trout out of the lake and eat those up, which was always a ton of fun and still love to do that, of course. Um, but no, never got into hunting until I was in my late twenties when I first started. So I'm just kind of curious then, cause I see a lot of your culinary dishes that you create and um, they're pretty epic. I mean, was that something that like led you into hunting or was it just um, 
kind of, I mean, where'd you pick that up? Yeah, I think it was, it, it's kind of worked off of, off of each direction. So I, I really started hunting for the food. That was the biggest thing for me, you know, starting to try to be thoughtful about where my food comes from and, and have more engagement in that process. You know, we do a little bit in the garden, not a whole lot, but really being able to get out and hunt, that's a really tangible thing that I can do. It's, it's a thing that I can do. It's very, you know, gives me a chance to get outside, gives me a chance to interact with nature, but then bring home some really high quality food. And it's, you know, it's not an easy thing to do, but it's easier than trying to figure out, you know, which butcher shop sells meat that's ethically sourced and things like that. So I know if I go out and take meat from the the environment that I'm sourcing my meat ethically. So starting to think about my food sources and, and where things come from and how I'm interacting with that ecosystem led me into hunting. And that was when I really started. So when you first started hunting, uh, what kind of resources or what would you go to? I mean, as an onset hunter, it's kind of kind of difficult I imagine because you didn't really have a mentor or anybody that was around you that was hunting what'd you do yeah I've I've been really lucky my first hunt was actually with a buddy of mine that I went to nursing school with and uh I think we had we had just graduated or we'd be we'd been graduated for a little little while and we uh he invited me out on a quail hunt so I took my uh Mossberg 500 with a 16 inch barrel and a collapsible (laughs) stock out on a uh out on a quail hunt and was terribly unsuccessful but it was a ton of fun it was great being out in the early morning nice crisp morning you hear a ton of birds moving around you know we got a couple of shots off i think he took a quail home and uh that kind of really lit the fire under me and I'm, i'm fortunate that i i work with a bunch of hunters and things like that so after that i started working on the process of like okay now how do i actually hunt for real so started talking to people and saying, how, how do I get into this? And then, um, you know, it was just a coincidence, I guess, but meat eater was on Netflix. So just like every other adult onset hunter <laughs> my age, it's like, Oh, Steve Rinelli, you see that guy and he's, he's doing all the right things. He's doing, you know, the respectful hunting and sourcing of his food and it's got a real food focus. So that was, you know, a perfect thing to come up at a perfect time. So I'm probably the only guy in the world that turned a tactical shotgun into a bird gun. You know, I got a, I got a longer barrel for it and put a wood stock on it. Started going from there. I applied for my, my first deer draw probably about a month after a month after that quail hunt, I think is month or two, maybe. So was that a a rifle hunt then? Yeah. I applied for a, uh, a coos deer hunt in Southern Arizona and yeah, it was, a, it was a rifle hunt. I got drawn. It was one of these units. We have a lot of units that are really easy to get drawn in in the southern area of the state because they give out a whole bunch of tags and they're really hard to hunt coos deer. So, like 28 ish? <laughs> 28 ish. Yeah. What? 28, oh, like unit 28 ish, somewhere down oh, that um, way. I'm not sure where 28 is. I, I normally hunt 34. Um, I apply for 33. It's kind of on like the, I guess it'd be like Southeastern portion of the state kind of by the Gila. Okay. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think all of the units like 36, 34, 35, those units are all pretty easy to get drawn in. So they give out, you know, 400 tags a unit or something like that. So nice. So unsuccessful. 
Actually, I was successful oh, in that hunt. Okay. Yeah, that was, uh, you know, I had the buddy that I went quail hunting with. We put in on the same application with uh, another buddy of mine that had hunt, hunted down in that unit before. And we spent a couple of days out between me and my my buddies. We we each went out on different days, kind of, you know, whoever had work availability, we'd all, we all made it out together a couple days. And then I'd go with one, go with the other, kind of get the sense of glassing and things like that. I'd gotten a, a nice-ish pair of binoculars and set up a tripod and everything and started that. It was really pretty, pretty hard hunt. I think I was out there for eight days total. And, uh, the last day I was out, I was actually by myself. So it was, you know, the one day, it was the last day I had to hunt. So I was like, well, I'm going to go out by myself and see what we can get together. And three in the afternoon, I think, you know, I saw the first, uh, second buck that I'd seen on that trip, actually. And he was right across the canyon. It was, I think it was a 175-yard shot and was able to get set up and, you know, was able to get myself calmed down. And then, of course, I had a misfire. So I had to restart the whole process. And then, uh, you know, I was able to, he was still, still right there, got myself set up again and calmed down and was able to take a shot. And he didn't, he didn't move an inch and made my way across the canyon and darn near couldn't find my way when I got to the other side because I, <laughs> I didn't know anything about, you know, taking a picture of the area or looking for landmarks. So cruised around a little bit found the deer and then got there and was like okay well i guess what do i do now so how'd you so, figure out what to do i mean was it just kind of guesswork did you watch some videos beforehand how did it all yeah play i out? probably watched you know steve ranella's how to you know field dress a deer video 12 times and then <laughs> i had the 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 um his his guidebook as well so it had all the decals i wish i would have just brought it with me but i had a pretty good idea from the from the video there and you know just kind of took my time i i think i shot the deer at three and it took me till about five to get him quartered and in my pack but um it was overall you know a really cool experience and really happy to be successful after after being out there getting at it for eight days so you know pretty unique thing i learned a bunch of lessons from that um namely to have a bigger pack so that i don't have game bags hanging <laughs> over my shoulder when i'm trying to fall down a steep hill but um really cool you know was able to get the meat home got it on ice got it to a, um, a processor that my stepdad knows so i was able to help with that process as well so really cool experience and then we started um experimenting with the food and checking out you know all the things that you know coos deer are just great tasting animals so checking out all the things that they've got to offer so uh did you i mean at that point you were already pretty pretty far into the culinary thing so um i've heard the shanks out there a lot of times on the on the coos deer have a lot of like uh cactus prickles or what do you i don't even know what you call them but yeah in them or did you use they, them then or what they actually yeah, I did. I I always do use my shanks, so they do get some cactus in them, but it's usually right in the right in the top layer, so you can kind of see it. And uh, the the stuff that was really on the surface, I just picked out, but otherwise they're getting slow cooked anyway. But I think really the culinary stuff, it kind of came after. Um, I you know I've always been interested in cooking. I've never you know I've never tried to cook anything fancy prior to prior to starting hunting. 
But when I have this meat and I take it out of the freezer, I go, okay, this is, this is special, you know, especially on a coos deer, you have 40 or 50 pounds of meat. And it's like, I've, I've got this special, special stuff right here. So what do I do with it? And so I always try to take that, you know, do something really thoughtful. And, and that's led me to, to making some more interesting dishes, I think. Nice. And I'm not, you know, I don't have any classical training as a cook or anything. My, my most formal training was the two years I spent working at Subway when I was in high school. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I don't know what, I don't know what that got me. I can stack a sandwich pretty well, but, um, that but it's fun. really just, just trying as best I can to be really thoughtful with my ingredients and, and using them like a precious resource that they are. So, uh, maybe that's where you came up with the inspiration for a dub bear sandwich. Yeah. That, you did. <laughs> that was, uh, that was probably one of the most special things that I think I've made. Um, you know, I talked about a little on that Instagram post. I don't always post a big story with my, with my post on Instagram or anything, but that one was really pretty special to me. I, I grew up eating at this place called uh, Luke's Italian Deli with, uh, you know, my family and my grandfather, we'd go there and uh, they've just got these amazing Italian beef sandwiches. It's a, you know, Chicago transplant that opened up the restaurant ages ago. And uh, my family all came from Chicago and, you know, moved to the, moved to the state in the 80s. But the uh, Italian beef sandwich is just this sopping mess, just dripping with Jew. And it's, you know, the most <laughs> delicious sandwich, you know, you could you could eat if you can figure out how to eat it before it turns into this big soggy mess. Right. Um, but I was actually given some some bear meat by a buddy of mine, uh, Michael Cravens in, in Phoenix. And if you don't follow him on Instagram, he's he's absolutely outstanding at uh, MLC Outdoors. But. He gave me some bear meat from one of his recent bear hunts. And I was like, it was one of those things where I had this little tiny package of bear meat. I was like, I need to do something really, really special with this. So I was able to hit the nail on the head with that dish. And it was <laughs> one of the best things I've eaten in a long time. Yeah, I think I'm actually doing that with the deer neck roast uh, probably sometime this week. Awesome. going to try to, yeah. That's another one of those underappreciated cuts is the, the necks. Yeah, I've been I've been doing the whole Italian beef thing with those for a while. It's pretty good. Yeah, a little bit of jardinier in it, some other things. Oh, so. it's perfect. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's the best thing in the world to eat. I don't know if it's at all good for you, but uh, makes my heart feel good. <laughs> so anyway, I want to get back to a little bit uh, on the on the misfire on the on the coos deer. What do you, what yeah. do you think happened there? Was it like a light primer strike? Was I think, bolt I, I, think I short cycled the bolt. Because I didn't a, know short cycling a bolt was a thing. It's a common, common thing. Well, yeah. think about this. Your first deer, you're super excited. You're probably, yeah. Yeah, I mean, by yourself, you're amped up. Nobody there to keep you in check. I mean, it's, it's I guess it's bound to happen, right? I mean, yeah. I can't say I've done it. But then again, I've never rifle hunted something by myself either. So, yeah. And I, you know, I've got got enough formal training in weapons to kind of understand some stuff but i'm not formal trained in anything with a bolt <laughs> you know that uh, that needs to be cycled by me so you know i've i'm really comfortable with guns and everything like that but yeah just didn't know short cycling was a thing my my m4 has never done that <laughs> <laughs> so um you know that was one of those things i just didn't figure out till later it's one of those lessons learned so yeah yeah, that's actually, I think you're about the second person I've talked to that had the same, same instance on an animal like that. That's why I kind of just wanted to bring it up to shed yeah. light to other people and maybe somebody will learn from that experience. 
Absolutely. And it was, it was interesting because, you know, I didn't, I didn't get formal training on a hunting rifle, but it's the same as everything else pointed in the right direction. Keep your finger off the trigger. Same, same basic rules, right? But just a little bit different, something new to learn. You know, the other things I've learned along with that is not to tighten my scope too tight. Thank God for Vortex sending me, uh, <laughs> sending me a new one, even though I messed up, um, you know, things like that. But you know, the whole thing's a learning process and, you know, it wasn't something I learned from my parents or anything. So something hopefully I'll be able to teach my kids before they have to embarrassingly send their scope back to Vortex. So needless to say, you didn't have a, uh, a torque wrench for your, uh, tight of your scope rings then. I sure didn't, but I sure do now. Yeah. Okay. And if anyone doesn't own the uh, Vortex torque wrench, I highly recommend it. It's the best fifty bucks I've spent. Yep. Yep. That's um, luckily I had somebody. I mean, growing up, my dad was. Uh, you could probably even say a, a nut when it came, you know, a fanatic when it came to guns, and he always shot, you know, competition and all kinds of things like that. Growing up, so I always had, I always had that basis or that background to kind of lean back on and it was more so he's kind of the, the school of thought to where it's uh let you fail from your lesson so you'll never forget it yeah but um but he was always there to show you the right way even after <laughs> after well, you may have screwed up <laughs> i've certainly been taking that advice <laughs> yeah so um i see you're wearing a hank shaw shirt yeah so i mean He's the, he's the, he's the master of this space, right? In a space crowded with, uh, with, with people cooking cool food. He, he rises obviously way above the rest. So would you say that's kind of one of your biggest inspirations as far as cuisine comes from, or you just kind of pull it from all over? Um, are you following recipes or are you trying to create your own thing? It's a little mix of both. Um, one thing I've gotten better about is actually following recipes. Cause I've, I've always tried to just cook instinctively, but since I don't know anything and I don't have any formal culinary training, sometimes it works better if I follow a recipe and if <laughs> I'm going to follow a recipe, uh, Hank Shaw is not a bad place to start. Yeah. I mean, it, he's, he works off of super cool influences. He's got experience cooking a ton of Central American food, um, like different African cuisine and stuff like that. So it's really awesome that he's able to bring in, you know, stuff from different cultures and and use like our the most american food that we have right it's it's the stuff that's been here before everybody else and uh making these just awesome dishes out of that so he's he's one of the best i actually found him a little later um i think probably through meat eater just like every you know seeing him cook the sardinian hare stew and things like that with the uh, california jackrabbits yeah yeah no i found it was weird i found a hank shaw like when I first started listening to podcasts, somehow it popped up and it was his first season of podcasting that I guess he gave up on. And yeah. that was, it was epic. Just listen back to it now. Right. Right. Yeah. I got to say there's less recipes and more talk about the hunting aspect. And I do miss the whole, the whole recipe thing. It was uh, like the one he did on fish. I mean, he, it was like two hours of talking about fish, but it was every little detail. And I mean, it's like seared in my brain because I've listened to it like four times. And, That's awesome. Uh, I'll have to go check that out. Yeah. And, and what's cool is now all those episodes are back up because 
of him re-upping with his season two, you can listen to all of season one. Okay, I don't think I realized that, so that's awesome. Yeah, and then I've seen you do a lot of fermenting and things like that. Is that like a Pascal Badur, or but but I don't know how you actually pronounce his last name, but is that like a inspiration or no? Uh, I don't know who that is, but I'm going to have to look him up. Um, I mean, I just love eating pickled foods and fermented foods, and that's part of it. Um, I think I get a lot of my ideas from uh, Brad Leone uh, over at Bon Appetit. He's awesome. Um, he doesn't do a ton with Wild Game, but um, he does have a show on there. It's called, um, oh, shucks, I'm blanking, but he's got a cool show where he goes out and does different things. And He's done like a pheasant hunting episode, and I think they did a, a hunting episode in Hawaii too. But he, he mostly, I mean, he's a classically trained chef, but it, one of his big interests is fermenting things. And so I've just, you know, blatantly stolen some of his ideas and just done that <laughs> stuff because, you know, who doesn't like eating pickled and fermented things? So Right. I wanted to hit you up for some of that hot sauce that you said you had the extra, but obviously you weren't going to share it all the way. <laughs> yeah. Um, I gave most of that away, but that was uh, spicy stuff. I'll have to post the recipe stuff. up for that. Yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah, um, I started taking these classes. Uh, from Pascal, I think it's Bador or Bador is his name, but um, he does a lot of invasivore stuff, and so it's uh, foraging for different wild edibles, and then taking those and fermenting the roots, making kimchi out of them, uh, fermenting the mushrooms. And I, I I followed him for a while, but I guess it's normally his classes. They're always out in California. He lives at like yeah. near L.A. or something, but because of the whole COVID thing. He's been doing a lot of classes online right now through Zoom. So I was able to catch a few that were on the weekend. And I've been doing those with his uh, natural vinegar making and all the different ferments and things like that. It's pretty, pretty epic. You, you probably want to check that out. Yeah, absolutely. That's how I'll have to start spending some time. Uh, the foraging thing is, is really cool, too. And it's something that I'm just trying to start to get into. I actually, I just missed the Choya Bud thing before I had to run out of town here. Um, but we were just about to get all our choya buds. They were just getting ready. And um, they're supposed to be a really cool ingredient to work with. And I think Hank Shaw just did a another reminder on that. <laughs> you know, prickly pear I like to get out and do every year because I like to use, you know, I like to use that. Um, but we've got a bunch of cool stuff in the desert. People kind of think of it as a barren landscape, but it's it's so full of life and it's really neat to see the different ways that, that we can eat that life. Could you uh, touch on that chua bud or whatever it's called a little bit more so that people understand and know what that is? Yeah, the choya cactus is this gnarly, gnarly cactus. Um, they've got these long spindly arms with just spikes everywhere. And if you've ever hiked anywhere in the desert of southern Arizona, um, you've had this cactus in your legs. And that's probably what the uh, what the deer are mostly getting in their legs, too. It's gnarly stuff. It'll go straight through your pants, straight through your boots. Um, but they get these these buds every spring, and they're um, they're basically before the flower comes out. They'll they'll do this big bud, and you can burn off all the thorns and pull off all the thorns, blanch them, and then cook them. And they're supposed to have like an artichokey um, type flavor to them, like a really good like vegetable flavor. And then you can dehydrate them and reuse them in all kinds of stuff. So the uh, guys that won the cooking contest at the uh, Backcountry Rendezvous last year, uh, a couple of Arizona guys, um, John O'Dell and Mike Cravens, 
they used uh, choya buds as part of the meal that they prepared there. Nice. What what did they prepare? They did. Uh, I'm gonna get it wrong. I know part of it was jackrabbit uh, tacos that they made. They did a uh, rattlesnake bacon. Uh, was part of it, and then they did uh, choya buds. I think maybe they made a salad with that, um, and then they did prickly pear margaritas. So they they kind of stuck with the uh, the bad boys of the desert, the things that kind of people look down on, um, and and made a really cool dish and took home a trophy. So is there a rattlesnake season out in Arizona, or how's that work? You know, I'm not super well versed on it. I don't think it it runs a certain time, but there is a limit on how many you can take a year. Um, there's certain species that you can take and certain species you can't take. And uh, I think it's just keeping within the bag limit and and you have to have a hunting license to do it. That's pretty interesting. So let's talk about your elk hunting. So yeah. um, wouldn't it, did you get into that right away then or was it? later on pretty much um i think i applied for elk the uh i think i applied for elk the no i didn't i didn't apply for elk my first year i applied for elk my second year because the draw for that is a little earlier than the deer draw so i applied for elk my second year hunting got drawn for a cow tag went up and had had kind of a troubled hunt with some more lessons learned um but we had a we had a cow tag. It was you know running around the woods trying to find one, uh, and just couldn't quite get it together on that hunt. So I went home empty-handed. But um, that was one of those hunts with with some more rifle troubles. I tried to switch from um, uh, copper or from a, from a lead ammo to a copper ammo that was the same grain, but they had a different velocity, and that was another thing i didn't know about and that changed my point of aim and caused me to miss and it was just like this whole thing so another lesson learned that's um, <laughs> regarding that rifle and um what, what know, caliber I, was it i bought a 30-06 so right after i uh, applied for the deer draw i was like okay well i can probably borrow a deer rifle or i can see if i can buy one and um found a savage 30-06 uh for a pretty good price and i picked that up because I can pretty much hunt everything with it yeah. uh, without upgrading. So I was like, you know, if this is going to be my one hunting rifle for a while, 30 out six is the way to go. Yeah. We could do an entire podcast episode on ammunition. Absolutely. It's, it's one of those just, Oh my gosh, there's so much to unpack there, but I will say this just to anybody listening that doesn't know just changing brands of ammo or type of projectile within the same caliber, even though it's the same amount of grains and everything else, you have to shoot it a lot because you could have three that group and then three that don't group and you have to be right on. (laughs) And then I, I had a similar thing this last year, actually, I, I'm really hell bent on switching back to copper and, uh, I got five different boxes of different copper ammo. And I was like, all right, we're going to the range. We're going to figure this out. We're going to let the barrel cool down. Another thing I had no idea about before, you know, we're going to, we're going to do this whole thing. We're going to do it right. We're going to figure out which ammo works. And I finally got this, this ammo it was 150 grain, all copper. And it was shooting absolutely great. And then I, the week before the hunt, I took it back out to the range. I was like, all right, let's, let's open up a new box of ammo. Let's check it out again. And then 
every single round in the box, darn near. It was about half the rounds in the box. They all had a primer strike and didn't fire. And I was like, okay, so what's going on here? So I had all of these primer struck rounds that, that hadn't fired. And I was like, I don't. So, okay. So I guess I have to send all this ammo back. So I, I dug into the other box that I had bought, but I think they probably came from the same lot. So there was something going on with all of these rounds. Um, so I had to, again, switch back to lead because I needed to, you know, it was a week before my hunt. I needed some reliable ammo, was able to get another brand that, that worked, but another disappointment. So that's going to be my, my project again for the fall. Yeah, that's, man, that's a tough one. But, uh, I mean, yeah, you got to take into all kinds of considerations. If you're shooting with a dirty bore at the range, don't clean it before you go out. If you're going to be taking a cold bore shot, definitely shoot in group with cold bore shot. Because, yep. I mean, and then depending on, say, you go to another state, then you got to take into other considerations. What elevation are you going to be at? What's the temperature going to be? I mean, that all changes. And it's crazy to think about, but it's something that does need to be talked about and definitely discussed because, I mean, you're going out there and spending all that money for a tag, maybe not an Arizona resident tag. It's a lot cheaper than something that I would be paying. But at the sure. same time, I mean, say I'm coming from here and I'm going out to Arizona and it's warmer than when I'm sighting in here. That could be a big problem too. Absolutely. So, and I mean, yeah. I, the biggest thing for me is I want to keep filling my freezer. So I, <laughs> I don't want a $20 box of ammo <laughs> to, you know, <laughs> take 300 pounds of meat out of my pocket. Cause I, you know, I, I didn't prepare properly. So. Yeah. Um, yep, that's... <laughs> and, and for me as like a, you know, kind of a gun guy by necessity only, I just, I really wish I had something that was a little more plug and play, but you know, it's part of the process. Yeah. So have you gotten an elk at that, at this point, or was that your first elk hunt then? That was my first elk hunt. I didn't get drawn the following year and now I have a, another tag this year. So uh, another cow tag. So I'm pretty excited. Yeah, I've got, I think I've got like four, I think I've got four points in Arizona. I'm going to try and capitalize on them next year. That's my plan. I don't know if I've, I've actually, I put in the first year, obviously didn't draw, but I, you know, shot for the moon and was hoping to just to see what I could get. Got my point, And then the past couple of years, I've just been so tied up with different things. I was like, man, I, even if I draw, it just wouldn't work out. So I'm really really hoping with four points or maybe even fly out there sometime this summer, if all this stuff goes away and do my hunter safety course out there and get that extra point. So when I apply, I can have five and, and do that. But yeah, that makes to, sense. Yeah. I'm really just hoping to kind of expand just a little bit. I'm not one of those guys that's looking for a trophy of a lifetime. I just want to get out and I want to hunt out. And that's kind of how I am. I think I use three bonus points on a cow elk tag, which I'm perfectly happy with, you know, I'd love to take a bull elk at some point. Um, I think that'd be great. I think it'd be awesome to hunt the, uh, hunt the, hunt the rut. Um, I think that would be a totally cool experience, but you know, if I can get a whole bunch of elk in my freezer, that's where I'll be really excited. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. I mean, the hunt is kind of the trophy. Everything after that you get is a bonus as long as you're bringing home something and had a good time. But, um, So do you hunt archery at all or is it something you've gotten into or I've uh, I've just started hunting archery. I uh I've had a bow for a while and I've you know, I've been kind of 
kind of nervous to really get into it, but I got it tuned up last summer and, you know, really started hammering it pretty hard. Uh, went out on my first archery deer hunt, which was, was unsuccessful. I didn't have a whole lot of time to go. I, at that point I had a, a one, one year old or no, gosh, how old was she? I don't know. I've got a toddler at home. So she was real little. So I had a little bit of time to get out and I'm lucky that I can hunt, you know, within an hour of my house and really cool coos deer country. Uh, was able to get out, was able to find some bucks and, you know, of course I had no idea how to stock them appropriately. So I sent them on their way, never to be seen again, <laughs> but I came back with a nice picture and, uh, you know, we'll try again next year. I went out, I've gone out with my bow for, uh, javelina. I've taken a jackrabbit with my bow. That was a pretty proud achievement for me. So nice. Um, hoping to get something a little bigger at some point. So it's something I'm going to keep working on, keep practicing with it. You know, we're lucky here. We can hunt with our bow before the rifle season. And, you know, if we take a, take a deer in bow season, we can't take a, another deer in the same calendar year, but we have a pretty generous bow season. And so the bow, bow season, I, I know you got like archery for elk and then it goes rifle. And then is your, you have like a archery season before and after rifle season? Cause I know you do. It's like a real late into January too, right? We do. So we're pretty lucky. We have, uh, it's either August or September. I want to say it's September before the rifle season. We have like a month long archery deer season, um, which is pretty generous. It's an, you know, the, the archery tags are over the counter. So it's like 45 bucks for a resident. You can hunt quite a bit. You know, it's a lot of hunting during hot days at that time of year. Um, you've got your rifle seasons that start in about October. They go through December. And then you've got an additional archery hunt in December. So you've got more time in December which, where you can use the same archery tag. And then that season goes all the way through January, I think. So it's a se separate tag as soon as you hit January 1st. But if you were so inclined, you could take a deer on Jan uh, December 31st and then January 1st. But we do only get one deer per calendar year here. Now, does that include whether it's a mule deer or a coos deer then? It depends on the unit, but a lot of the archery tags are um, any antler deer. But there are a few exceptions to that. There's some units where they it'll be an antlered whitetail or an antlered mule deer only. Like a limited type? draw unit or something they're actually there's still the over-the-counter tags but it's just different restrictions and different units and then there are some units like the kaibab where it's you know there's a ton of trophy deer up there and you can't take your over-the-counter archery tag up there that's one of the ones that takes about like 30 years to get a tag if you're a non-resident <laughs> i don't know to be perfectly honest i can't i just want to hunt deer every year so i can't imagine that i'll ever apply for that tag so i you know, people take out these world-class, you know, Kaibab mule deer. It's a whole thing, but I don't know. The antlers, they probably make okay soup, I guess. But <laughs> it's, it, you know, it's not where I'm at. And, and that said, I've been I've been really lucky. I've taken two coos deer and uh, one mule deer, and they, they've all been pretty nice deer as far as antlers go. I, I couldn't tell you the measurement to save my life, but they've all been, you know, very nice deer that I'm, I'm happy to have the, the horns and skulls on display. That's pretty cool. I definitely want to one of these days get down there in January and do the whole thing when nothing else is going on. Get down to January and and uh, 
do a do an over-the-counter hunt and i already have my license every year one of those that i just never use it but i gotta yeah. i gotta buy the license in order to buy the tag and the, the tag's not that expensive and arizona in january is probably a little better weather-wise than arizona <laughs> and illinois so you know you'll you, if, it, if it's cold it might be 40 that day yeah so let's talk about i saw you won a cooking contest and actually got a pretty cool prize a treasure yeah. grill i was yeah that was another another lucky day um went down to yuma yuma has this uh huge dove event every year and uh this last year in september um i think it was about the week after opening day for our dove season which we have a pretty good dove season as well uh the week after the opening day they had the backcountry hunters and anglers um, and game and fish put on this dove cooking competition and uh god there was something like eight or ten teams competing um including um john odell's team the guy who won the rendezvous last year um fortunately for me i was cooking with mike cravens the other guy i was cooking with his wife so i had i had um a, a good chef with me there um and we we were able to make it come together we tried to take some local ingredients i made some you know we made some mesquite pancakes with uh prickly pear maple syrup and did a fried dove on that and then made like a dove bacon type like a candy dove and made that onto a, an avocado toast and then some uh prickly pear limeade along with it and uh, you know, I think our our local ingredients and stuff like that, and we did the the brunch theme. It just kind of came together, and we were able to walk out of there with the prize. And it looked pretty got, epic. <laughs> it's nice, uh, the Traeger Pro Five Seventy. Um, you know, donated by Traeger, the Backcountry Hunters uh, Arizona chapter. I mean, awesome prize. I use it all the time. So that yeah. was that was killer. I got to uh, take the thing out of the box and put it in the back seat of my Toyota Corolla, and and drive <laughs> back. I was actually working up in uh, up at Luke that weekend, so I made the trip right after work, sped out there, competed, and drove back for work the next morning. Nice so, killer experience. You deserve to win after uh, you got beat out on the hike to hunt challenge. So, oh yeah. <laughs> So if anybody doesn't know, I'll just explain it. It's a kind of an inside joke, but it was one of those type of deals where I started following David to keep your friends close and your enemies closer type of deal. I knew he was competition to keep an eye on him, but um, we ended up doing best costume on the trail. And we both dressed as, uh, well, actually my daughter dressed as Teddy Roosevelt and him and his wife went out in the desert and dressed as Teddy Roosevelt. And uh, they ended up putting it up to a vote. And fortunately. I beat him out and I got a really awesome spotting scope. So he definitely deserved yeah. the win for the Traeger. No. And that was awesome. It was funny because that was like our, you know, I'd, I'd been working that week to get all the costumes and everything <laughs> together. We got the little teddy bear suit for my daughter and uh, we got all that together. And then I think it was the same day we posted our pictures and it was, it was for the <laughs> next day. And that was awesome. I mean, that was perfect with the, you as the horse and the, <laughs> teddy roosevelt on the back that was absolutely perfect so yeah thank you i thought it, that was awesome and yeah was, and i was looking, that was, that was funny was, yeah so the same day like he said pictures were posted and it was like 
oh crap <laughs> i told yeah, him exactly. somebody else has got the same idea <laughs> I was like, that's a lot of Teddy Roosevelt. Yeah, that's cool, but, though. It was you know, fun Great time. minds think alike, right? Yep. And then so that's how I ended up started to follow you. And then uh, here we are interviewing you now because I, just like I said, check him out on his Instagram because he's got some really, really cool, uh, really cool dishes out there. And it's kind of exciting to see that um, somebody later in life decides to hunt and ends up doing so well and uh, really taking that cuisine. To another level um it's kind of probably a good good point to wrap it up so you want to tell people where they can find you yeah i'm at a dsr underscore outside um on my instagram and uh yeah check that out i mean it's it's been an awesome journey it's been a really great thing and i'm, I'm super grateful that i've gotten involved in and in not just hunting but also you know the hunting community I uh, became a uh, regional director for the Arizona chapter of the Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. And it, it's an awesome organization nationwide uh, and dipping up into Canada, too, now, I think. So those guys are outstanding. I love being a part of that. And I, I love, you know, working with them and, and trying to set an example for my kiddo to, you know, be thoughtful about the environment and, you know, do what we can to, to help. So it, it's been awesome. And I, I really appreciate you having me on here. I think that's, it's, you know, you've got an awesome show. And I, I saw the laundry list of guests you had. So I'm certainly <laughs> in a pretty great company here. So no, I, I'm, uh, it's an honor to, to be on here. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. And uh, it's been good talking to you. And uh, you have a good day. Awesome. You too. Once again, thank you so much for listening to the Publicly Challenged podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show, and if you did, please subscribe on whatever platform it is you're listening to. Also, if you could leave a review, that would help us out. And you can check us out on Instagram or at publiclychallenged.com. And once again, thank you so much for listening to the show. there and the fish are where you think they are any one of these casts could be the bite it's the most exciting fishing that i know right here at hogs cave oh that's awesome experience the best saltwater fishing the world has to offer don't miss thursdays with saltwater experience brought to you by golden boat lifts every thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m eastern on waypoint tv the destination for outdoor entertainment a life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, I'll be over there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.